Good morning again, everybody. Thank you very much. I never do this, but let me just try one more time. Good morning again, everybody. See, look how good that is. Thank you all very much. I want to welcome you. If you are here as a first-time guest or even here the first few times, my name is Steve. I'm one of your pastors here, and it's really my privilege to be here with you this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different for the message today. I want to take this time that we have and share with you directly from my heart and a little bit from my vantage point about our worship life and about the future of our worship life together and inspired in no small part by the passage that we just heard read, this conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman where he began to answer a question that she asked. He answered her, the Father desires those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And he was answering a question that she asked about some very long-established worship practices So we Samaritans believe that we must worship God on this one particular hill, on this place, this hill called Mount Gerizim. But you Israelites, you say that we have to worship God on a different hill. You say we have to worship on Mount Zion. Which one of those is it? And Jesus does a very interesting thing. He relativizes both of these. A time is coming when it's not going to be about Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion, neither of these hills, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth and centers himself in that worship of God. Reading that passage in this context reminded me rather strongly of a conversation that I had almost 20 years now, 20 years ago now, when I was first a, a first-year graduate student. I was talking with one of my fellow students who had moved into a house with a number of other single students, and they were, let's say, learning how to live in community. They were resolving conflict. They were learning how to share with one another. And there was one particular conflict that she had gotten into with another housemate, And she was trying to decide how much she was going to have to wade into this one and make an issue of this. And she was asking questions, is this one worth it? And she, or, or should I just live to fight another day, live and let live, it's fine, let's let this one go by. And I at first said to her, well, it, it seems to me like you have a concern that this is not just like what you like better, but that maybe this is really more right somehow. And, and if it's right, I said, then I think it's worth it. And she wisely pushed back on me a little bit, and she said, I don't think that's quite right either, because not every hill is the hill to die on. And I thought, that's pretty wise, and my mind went running back there when I heard this question about these two hills, Mount Gerizim and Mount Zion, with the ancient worship practices that Jesus addressed, relativized them both, and placed himself in the center. And it challenged me to think, and and I believe it might be wise for all of us to be challenged by this, to think about those things that we might hold tightly and those things that we might be wise to hold lightly. And over on the tightly held end of things, on, on, the, on those important hills, I, I want to take you to another biblical passage, an image that occurs in a letter that Paul wrote to the, St. Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians, this church that years before he had founded and he loved them and was passionately concerned for them and they had found themselves in a kind of controversy, a a difficulty, a a misunderstanding, a dangerous one. And in in this letter that we now call the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul said to these Christians, he said, it is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you, which is an interesting image because I'm pretty confident that Paul had never been in the pains of childbirth before. And uh, it's funny to me that this verse has been 
really a guiding verse for me. It's been a central, inspirational verse for me for many, many years. And I, too, have never been in the pains of childbirth for anyone before. This, in, in this verse, Paul writes, It is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ be formed in you. That Christ be formed in you. That was an expression of his heart for the community. That, that they would come to find out more and more how good Jesus is. And that their life would come more and more to receive God in the way of Jesus. And to reflect the character and the manner and the love of Jesus for one another. And this verse is an expression also of my heart. It is definitely what I want for myself. I want the relationship with the Father that Jesus had. I want to know God in the way of Jesus. I I want the prayer life that Jesus had. I want to learn to treat my friends and my enemies the way that Jesus did. I want this for the sake of the people in my life. My, My wife, my children, my friends, my colleagues. I want for their sake that Christ be formed in me. They need this to happen in me. I want for our church that Christ be formed in us. I want for the world that Christ be formed in the world. Can you imagine how the world would be different if the world reflected, if we treated our friends and our enemies more like Jesus did, if the world could grow into the character of the relationship with God that Jesus had, much would be different. And I think that even the non-Christian world has an unarticulated desire for the Christian church that Christ would be formed in us. I think the non-Christian world would look at the church and go, it would be awesome if you guys looked more like Jesus. I would love that, right? Now, they might not know entirely what they mean by that, but there's an intuition there that Christ be formed in us. And that is a reflection of my desire for myself and for our church. And it's a reflection and articulation of my desire for our worship life, that we would worship together in such a way that Christ be formed in us, that we would come together for worship and hear and experience how good Jesus truly is. And that we will be formed together by God's word and by the patterns of our worship for life together in his way that Christ be formed in us. And that those who gather with us as guests and visitors and friends who may not be followers of Jesus yet would come to find the goodness of the grace of Jesus and the goodness of life in his way. That we would worship together in such a way that Christ be formed in us. And I've had the opportunity in a number of other venues where I know many of you have been present to share with you a little bit of how I picture that looking, uh, how, how I envision the future for us as Christ continues to be formed in us in our worship life. And in my, my imagination of this, I, I see a time when Sunday morning has really become the high point in the rhythm of all of our weeks. There's highs and lows and emotions and energy that flow throughout all of your weeks. And maybe there are high points and low points. And I, I see a time when Sunday morning is the high point for all of us. We, we come together on Sunday morning with energy and joy and anticipation, experiencing as we gather and as we stream in the doors and the parking lots and the neighborhoods around us, gathering together with a, a palpable sense of interpersonal warmth and joy and also spiritual vitality. I've sometimes used the phrase that when we gather together for worship, it's like we celebrate a big church family reunion every Sunday and there's always room at the table for more. And I imagine that there is handshaking and backslapping and hugging and in the flu and coronavirus season, elbow bumping and whatever else it is that we do in this season because we're so glad to see one another again. But not just in our little cliques, there's always room at the table for more. So arms and hearts are open to those who are new among us. We gather together in a horizontal community, but it is, of course, not only horizontal. We gather here with a sense of spiritual vitality. We are here for God. 
We are here to hear the word of God because we've been baptized into the family of God because we gather together around the table of God to pray to God, to confess our sins together and hear the grace of God that gives us life and sustains us. As we gather together in such a fashion, all the church's generations, I imagine, are visible together. The six adult generations that are alive together for the first time in human history because of increasing life expectancies. And our teens and our children all in our own ways are together and visible as both participants and leaders in our services together because God is being honored by the entire whole family of God and frankly because we need each other. Old need the young, the young need the old and everybody in between. When we gather together, I I imagine the level of engagement that we experience, that we are engaged emotionally, intellectually, spiritually by the content, music, art, sacraments, and preaching that are the backbone of our worship together. We don't come to observe. We don't come to be passive. We come to be engaged by God and to be engaged by God in one another. The gospel is proclaimed in our worship. The gospel of the the good news of the kingdom of God, of Jesus Christ, And because the gospel is proclaimed, people are entering the kingdom of God sometimes for the first time and more fully all the time. And in these gatherings, God is honored. The reputation and the deeds and the fame of God are magnified and increased as the story of God is told. God is honored. Believers are encouraged and strengthened together by the gospel. And unbelieving guests who are here with us, we get to have visitors and guests whom it is our privilege hospitably to welcome every Sunday. I'm so glad that you are here today. It is my hope that what you feel when you gather together with us is love. I hope you feel loved by God and embodied in the love of our community. I hope you feel inspired by the word of God and the good news of God. And I hope that you feel maybe a little bit intrigued by the remarkable life of this strange family. I hope that perhaps you might even think to yourself, if this is what Christian means to you people, tell me more about that. I'm interested. I want something like that for us, that Christ be formed in us. And I humbly believe that God wants something like that. I'm not confident I have that precisely right, but I humbly believe that God wants something like that for us. And of course, between where we are and there, there are obstacles, right? There are obstacles for us to face because we are a community of sinners on our way to salvation. We are not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. I tell our new member classes, some of you will have heard this recently, there are no perfect churches. This is not a perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, go find one somewhere else and ruin it when you get there, right? Because we're all sinners. If this one were perfect, I ruined it when I got here two years ago. There are no perfect churches. We all face obstacles. So it's okay for us to be honest about those things with one another. Let me take a moment to name what I see as some of the obstacles that I think that we face. The obvious ones are also some of the easiest ones to deal with. And I put them all together kind of under the heading of quality. Because we have divided our limited resources on our campus among a not overwhelming number of people yet into three different services and two different rooms, Some of our technology and equipment and physical spaces just don't get the attention, the renewing, and the maintenance, and the care that they deserve, that they should have. Uh, Just recently, we put some money into a new projector for this room because we're coming together in this room. It got a lot brighter and clearer, and a lot of you told me that you liked that. We have sound system issues in all of our rooms with uneven sound quality. A lot of us sit in the same place every week, and I have this little sneaking hidden theory that it's because the seats that are unoccupied every week are the ones where the sound system doesn't reach very well. These are, these are quality issues that we face. A little bit 
another level of quality issue is the, the creativity and the intentionality that goes into planning our worship services every week. I'm so grateful for the teams, people like Tim and our band here and Buff and Dulcie and all those who work on our services. But I have to tell you that we don't have the, the creativity, energy, intentionality, and bandwidth to plan all of our services equally. When we gather together as our central worship staff and worship planning team on Monday afternoon. We don't, we don't invest as much in each of our services as I wish that we could and I believe that we should because we're divided about that. And so the engagement level that we have suffers a little bit from that. And I'm so grateful to and also feel sympathy for all of you who serve in so many different capacities, those who read the scriptures, our communion servers, our ushers, our greeters, our musicians, our hospitality teams, our kids' church teams, you guys serve faithfully and sacrificially and generously and with diligence, and thank you so much for that. I feel that as a pastor, as our pastoral teams and staff teams, we do not care for you in the way that I wish we could and the way that I believe we should. Volunteers get used and put on the spot and depended on without being poured into and cared about in the way that I wish that we would. We don't provide the clarity of direction and the spiritual equipping and the pastoral care and the help in terms of building teams up and helping more people get into service that I wish that we would because we're paying attention to so many different systems at the same time. Now, these things are real problems, but these are also the kind of challenges that are more easily overcome and more readily overcome as we come together and take steps toward unity together. When we start to get improved technology, people see, see better and people hear better, and everybody wins. Everybody is happier when we can see better and when we can hear better together. We installed a new sound system at our Mill Run campus. We brought the worship service together. A woman came up to one of us, tears in her eyes after the service, and said, that's the first time I've understood the sermon in 10 years because the sound quality got better. Look, I can't believe you're still here 10 years later. Now that she's heard the sermon, she actually left now. That's, um, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Everybody wins when these things get better. When our teams get tended to better, when creativity and intentionality is invested, everybody wins when these things happen. Let me take a moment and try to address some problems that I think are even a little bit deeper and a little bit harder for us. And these are not so much quality. I would put these under the heading of identity and unity. The truth is that we harbor some mutual suspicions about one another. Not everybody. Probably not you, but some of us, some of the time. I've had the opportunity to hear people talk about what it is that they value about their worship services. And it's all good stuff. I hear people who say that I really love how my worship service it honors the holiness of God. And there's, a, and there's a reverence and there's a sacredness to it. And it's serious-minded and it's theological. And it's not entertainment, it's real worship. And I think that's all terrific and it implies that we don't believe that's true for all of us, that there are groups of us for whom worship might be entertainment and that it's not serious and reflective and thoughtful. And you can ask other people who will say, I love about the worship service that I come to, that we really center the grace of God and everybody is welcome and you can come as you are and children are welcome and, and guests are welcome and whole families are welcome together. And I think that is awesome. I'm so glad that we feel that way. But do we believe about one another that there is another group of people in our church in whose worship the grace of God is not central. And where not everybody is welcome and where children are not welcome. And I don't scold or blame or shame anybody for feeling this way. In fact, I take responsibility for it. I think that as a pastor, we, we pastors and our staff have, 
help to design and maintain and support and strengthen a system that will almost inevitably begin to foster these kinds of thoughts about one another. And frankly, I I repent of that because I am am deeply concerned that we will not be able to participate together in the mission of God to our external community in the face of increasing challenges to the mission of Christians in the world that are increasing with every month and every year if on the inside we don't grow in our health together. It's one of my convictions that we don't necessarily need to be smarter or more sophisticated or even depend on better technology. It's a nice to have but we need to pursue health in Christ together. Healthier organizations get smarter and more fruitful. Smarter and fancier organizations don't necessarily get more healthy. And so I think it's important for us to pursue that together. We've not only allowed ourselves to, to segregate and sort ourselves on the basis of stylistic and cultural and musical preferences, maybe on the basis of generation. That's happened a little bit inevitably, I think, and isn't the best for us. We've also very unintentionally, I think, sorted ourselves a little bit theologically. In, in my coming up on two years here with UALC and talking with lots and lots of leaders and communities here, I think that UALC has historically four decades and is at its present best when we draw from multiple different streams, multiple different strong and good and beautiful streams of historic Christianity. Let me try to explain what I mean. I think on the one hand, we draw from the evangelical stream of Christianity. We believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We believe that he meets us with his grace, saves us, and transforms our lives, and that we will never be the same again on this side of eternity or beyond. We not only believe the grace of God is good for us and saves us, but we fervently desire that every person would come to know just how good Jesus is and experience his grace for themselves. As evangelical Christians, we want to share our faith with others, and we also have a a strong, high degree of trust in the truthfulness and reliability of the biblical scriptures. And this is a tremendous strength of our community. We also at UALC drink from the waters of the sacramental stream of Christianity. And so we don't don't think that we are just uh, brains on sticks or souls in meat suits. We are embodied people, and God comes to us in material stuff And so we believe that God works through the waters of baptism and that we are joined to Jesus as the scriptures teach us. Buried with him, buried with him through the waters of baptism, we become inheritors of eternal life. We are joined to Jesus in a death like his so that we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We gather regularly together around the the Lord's table in the presence of Jesus and to receive the means of grace, the sign of his forgiveness, where we receive the body of Christ that also at the same time makes us the body of Christ and nourishes us to be sent back out into the world as the ongoing incarnation of Jesus in the world. And we believe, as sacramental Christians, we've been taught to believe, we've we come to believe, we have it as a conviction of ours, that the patterns of our worship life, the liturgies of our worship life, are formative, pedagogical things. That how we worship has a real influence on how we believe and what we think and how we imagine life and how we obey Jesus. That worship has a deeply formational effect. It influences that Christ be formed in us. We also drink from the fresh waters of the charismatic stream of Christianity. We believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, thank you very much, and did not cease to operate in the first century. We believe that God continues to want to teach and guide his people. As Jesus said, I will send you another counselor who will lead you into all truth and remind you of the things that I have said to you. 
We believe that, we, uh, that the Holy Spirit continues to be alive with the power to heal us in body, mind, and soul. And so we believe in, in healing prayer. Every single one of the poles on this triangle has excesses and weaknesses and malformations. And I think that we are more tempted to fall into those excesses and malformations when we migrate exclusively to one pole or the other. And when we are at our best, when we are in the middle of all these things at once. And I think one thing that has happened unintentionally is that as we have sorted ourselves, perhaps generationally and stylistically, we may also have sorted ourselves into people who have similar predilections. And so we get kind of one part of the picture of the God that we worship, the holy part or the gracious part or the healing part or the present part. And all of these things are true and good, but it's a little bit like a caricature artist at the carnival. If I showed you a picture of me with a giant chin and a receding forehead, you could, maybe that's actually true, I don't know. But you could tell that it was me, but you'd be like, I think that we're not getting the best thing there. I think we're not getting the best picture. And I think in worship we're at our best when we're at the center of this picture. This is probably the best explanation for what I meant when I sat in the back of this aisle right here, actually way toward the back about a month ago and shot the most recent episode of the unvarnished video series that I share with you about once a month or every six weeks or so. And I was talking about this worship unification. And I said at the bottom of it all, the the best way I can explain why we would do this is I just fundamentally believe that we are better together than we are apart. And it doesn't just mean that we can afford better technology and plan with better creativity and build better teams. It means those things. But I think that we will grow together, healthier together, and be a better embodiment of the Jesus-loving, sinner-redeeming, bodies-healing, souls-restoring community that I think God originally called us and continues to form us to be. Let me try to speak very directly and briefly here to you as the celebration community in particular. It's the celebration and exalt communities who are the most impacted by this here at our 1030 hour coming together. And there is always the question lingering in the back of all of our minds to wonder which of us wins in this scenario, right? Who triumphs? And you know what? It would be easy to think that celebration won because we're all coming together into the sanctuary, right? And if you don't think that that's a big deal, imagine if we had decided we were all going into the fellowship hall. Some of you told me how you would feel about that, and I heard you loud and clear. Exalt's going to be joining us here, and that's a huge change for them. It's a tremendous opportunity for us to be gracious and welcoming, to try to help pursue health and unity and bearing one another's burdens and laying down our lives for one another together in the body of Christ. But there's also challenge for us together as as we all grow and change. We've gotten used to some very particular ways of doing things here, and we like them. That's why we're here, and they're good, right? We've gotten used to particular ways of music sounding and being done, and we're going to be introducing more variety into our life together. And for some of you, your reaction right away is going to be, thank God, I love that. Some of you are going to have a different reaction right away than that, and that's okay. And, for, and some of these things are going to be learning exercises for us. I do not believe that what we are about to do is going to be perfect from the get-go. And if you would just now believe the greatest, best thing we've ever done, everything will just be roses from here on out. It's not how I see it. We are a learning community. We will always be a learning community. We will always be trying new things, trying to follow Jesus across the next horizon. Somebody recently said to me very wisely, it's hard to say that you're following Jesus if you're not actually going somewhere new once in a while, right? We are going to continue to learn and go someplace new. 
We're going to make some architectural changes, but we're going to continue to value the things like the, the centrality of the cross, the altar, the pulpit, the font, the railings around here, the beauty of this sacred space. We're also going to try some things that make it easier to get up and down these very steep steps here. We're going to try to broaden this out, get a little bit more flexible, try to maintain the sacredness and beauty of this room and invest in its accessibility and warmth all at the same time. I've been told regarding these steps, I stand like this because I'm trying to get close to you and people are afraid I'm going to fall off the steps from time to time. So uh, rest assured, if I do, I'll probably get back up. It'll be all right. What I want to leave you with is this. There's a voice in most leaders' heads, I think, and certainly in my head, that wants to say something like, trust me, this is going to be better. But the truth is, I think that positions you too passively. I think that positions our church members to be like consumers and recipients, and neither of us wants that for one another. I want to invite you and challenge you to pray, to ask God to speak to your heart, to ask God to work in your heart, And to mobilize transformation in your own heart and in our community to find out more about what he wants to do in us, among us, and through us together as a community. I want to invite you as you gather together for communion later in the service. And and I have to run off and uh, over to the exalt service and challenge them over there next. And we do these weird things to our services because of what we've done. But as we gather for communion here, I want to invite you to ask God this prayer that a mentor of mine taught me. And I've shared with you once or twice before. God, just please do whatever you need to do in me so you can do what you want to do through me. And and I believe that you have gifts to offer and perspective to offer, wisdom and engagement with our songs, our prayers, and maybe some of our serving teams and some of our communion teams and all of our teams that maybe God's calling you into greater service. I invite you to engage with God and ask God how he wants to grow you as we go through this together as God grows our church healthier and more fruitful in mission together. And now I'm going to begin by praying for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for what you have done in this place and through this community over many decades. For how the praises of this church have lifted up your name and how the witness of this church has spread the gospel throughout Columbus, through these northwest suburbs. God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. And God, I I pray that you would work in us, work in our hearts, teach us about yourself Break us and soften us where we need to be broken and softened. God, teach us to cling to you. I pray that you would form Christ in us. I pray that you would, that you would lead us forward like a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that we can follow you. Strengthen us and give us courage to link arms together that we would take this next hill. This next hill that you have for us to take, we pray that you would lead us on and strengthen us to pursue it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.